Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord of the Lord. Thank you, all of you that gave your support yesterday, all of you that, that could and did give your support yesterday uh, for the homegoing of Michael Christopher. Um, the Lord met us, and it was, a, it was a marvelous celebration as well as a house of mourning, and we are learning what we find in the house of mourning. Amen. And there is a time to laugh. There is a time, come on, to cry. See, there's a time to rejoice, and there's a time where you cease from rejoicing. I believe it's fitting. We've not, we've not served the table of the Lord for almost six weeks as we've allowed for the other celebrations, the other things that the Lord has been directing us to do as we allow them to happen. But I feel that uh, there isn't anything, there isn't anything more important than the church gathering together at the table of the Lord. In fact, I will say to you today, that is what distinguishes any other gathering from what Jesus would call his church. One of the major distinctions is that we celebrate, we honor the table of the Lord. It's part of what makes a church a church. And I'd like to direct your attention in the scripture this morning before we eat this meal together. In the Old Testament, and I'm not going to the Old Testament right now, but in the Old Testament, they actually... I want to use it, the term advisedly. They actually partied. Um, when, when they came together, there was tremendous celebration there. And this was before God. God ordered them. And there would be plenty of food. This is the way of the people of God in the Old Testament. There, there would be celebrations and feasts where there would be plenty of food and plenty of drink. And yes, for those of you that have, yes, it would be wine, amen. If you drank enough of it, it, you would, it would change your character, yeah. Uh, it was real. When God gave them feasts to celebrate, it was for, for very specific reasons. And one of them was to celebrate their, their deliverance and their freedom and their prosperity. And they it demonstrated that by making sure that there was plenty. In, in, in fact, may I say this to you, that in the, in the Old Testament, one of the ways you displayed your, the bountiful hand of God in your life is the way you spread your table. 
In fact, there is so much in the scripture around the table, I've just recently rediscovered. I'm in it right now. And it brings me to this table today, a discovery of what this means. I'm not talking about the physical construction of this table per se, but the fact that there is a place from which we all partake. In a, in a ruler's house, one of the ways he would display his authority, his blessing, his bountifulness, his generosity, was the way he would spread the table. Now, how many of you have been at the corner cafe? I'm saying that symbolically. The corner cafe where, you know, it's not that fancy, but the food is awesome. Anyone, anyone have a place like that? And every time you go there, you get great food, but the ambience ain't that great. And if you look on the floor, you may not want to eat. And for God's sake, don't go back in that kitchen. But, but the food is good. How many of you know a place like that? Would you please uh, text my wife and give it to her so we can go ourselves? <laughs> we are, by the way, we are foodies. I think that's what they call people that always want to find great places. If you're going to eat, it might as well be good. Let somebody say amen. And I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for new places to go. Greg, if you can give me something, I mean, I, I, I'll walk on it, amen. And, and, and this morning, I want you to think about it this way before we prepare, as we prepare our hearts for this table. Because you can go to places that are not beautiful. And sometimes the aroma in the place is not that good. But, but strangely enough, what you eat is amazing. It's much different than when you go to a five-star restaurant. Has anyone here ever been to such a restaurant? When, the, when you walk in the front of the door, you know, oh my God. And when the people who greet you, hello, are dressed a certain way. And when the carpet and the wall coverings and the, and the, and the crown molding and the, and, <laughs> and the marble in the floor and they have a, what you call a maitre d'. Some of you might not know what that is. Did I say it right, sweetheart? Yeah. Maitre d'. And the maitre d', you know, you got to go by the maitre d', because he's the one that seats you, right? You, if you don't go by him, you get thrown out. Uh, and, and, and finer restaurants. But what, is, what distinguishes it from the corner cafe is when you go to the table, the way it's set, The chairs take two hands to move. Y'all not talking to me. And, and the table has coverings on it. And if I've discovered when it's a really fine restaurant, it's got two or three coverings. There's a table itself. There's a cushion on top of that. There is a, a tablecloth on top of the cushion. And then there's another tablecloth twisted on the other side on top of that. 
so that when you get through eating and some of you have not gotten the best of table manners and you spill stuff everywhere, <clears throat> they come, they rip that one off and they take a new one. And Sandra, do you understand what I'm talking about, right? They put another one on top. And, and have you noticed when you're in great restaurants, the dishes they serve you? Now the corner cafe might come out there with a, with a fruit jar. with a plastic cup. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know, the Kool-Aid might be good, but... <laughs> when you get the menu, the menu don't have many words. You just got pictures. I want that right there. <laughs> but when you go to a fine restaurant, uh, you, you have to, sometimes there be a couple of languages on the, on the menu. And the utensils they, they serve with are beautiful. There are usually two or three plates. And there's settings on both sides of the plates. And those utensils don't have water spots on them. I wish I could talk to somebody this morning. I mean, they are pristine, right? And if they're not, you know, the waiter is just indignant. Oh, he has words with the kitchen. Because those utensils are declaring the opulence, the excellence, the honor of that establishment. So my, my, my wife, is, she's preaching to me, she said, and some of you, I've seen some of you do this, order a glass of hot water, put your utensils in the hot water, because you're doing hand washing right there in the restaurant. When you go to a great restaurant, you don't have to deal with that. You don't have to deal with that. When you go to someone's home, and they invite you to eat. By the way, I would like for Metro City Church to revive this as of today. I mean, if you have not done it because you don't understand the power of it. Do you know how many proposals have taken place over a meal? Okay, okay. How many of you, how many of you proposed to your wife over a meal? Raise your hand. Or a meal was involved. Raise it high. I need to see. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yeah, there they are. Thank you, ma'am. You, you got a proposal over. Donald, did you propose to these over, over a meal? Now, you weren't at McDonald's, were you, bro? All right. That's what I'm talking about. And you those of you, are young, you young ladies, if they invite you out to a meal, you should be suspect because meals are incredible places. I just don't understand why we don't take this to heart today. I'd like to end that today at Metro City Church. I want you to revive the art of bringing people to sit at your table. It does a couple of things for you. First of all, you'll actually clean up. It says something about you. In the New Testament, to sit at someone's table was a great honor. In 
fact, it was a covenantal act. If I ever had you sit at my table, you were forever my covenant brother or sister. I'd like us to revive this again. Carol and I, we love to do this. We love to have people over to eat. Now, I know restaurants and so on and so forth. And honey, you don't have to be a gourmet cook. You can order that stuff out. Put it on their plates and act like you did it. Amen. Am I talking to the right people today? I'd like, to, I'd like, I'd like for you to, I'd like, I'd like for you to, Charles, I want, I, I, I want, Chris, I want you to join with me. I, Dex, I want you to join with me in this. Um, <laughs> I don't mean right now. I don't mean right now. No, I'm, I'm trying to preach this message. <laughs> I know, man. Thank you for your obedience. I mean, I want you to join me in bringing people to your table. Because it represents so much. I want you to pick up I want you to pick back up the tradition of the saints that came before you that you could never have anyone sit at your table and then become your enemy by you backbiting, talking about them or putting them down. It was a, a dastardly thing to do that because if someone opened their table to you, they were opening their life to you. If you're gonna clap, clap. If you understand, if you understand. In the New Testament, as well as the Old, even more so it's demonstrated, even more so in the Old Testament. If you were asked to come and to sit at someone's table to partake of what they had to offer, it was a great honor. Somebody invites you to dinner. Usually today what we do, we consider who that person is. If they have a bad reputation, we may not go. In fact, I want to, I want to suggest to you that if, that if a person invites you and has a terrible reputation, I suggest you don't go. Because spiritually, whoever you eat with, you partake of. The Old Testament has a lot to say about that. Don't go sit at that scoffer's table lest you become part of his life. And his life become a part of you. I want to say more about tables later. They are absolutely amazing. I've been thinking about it. And, and, and before the Lord, uh, it, I, he began to, I see flashes of past experiences some of the greatest experiences that Carolyn Johnson and myself have had in our life has have occurred at a table I think about today our mentors who are now he is with the Lord but one of the great opportunities we had was to sit at his table because at his table he would share not it wasn't, it wasn't just the food we ate it was the person he was and what he would share with us and what he would expose us to first time I ever came to Atlanta 
First time I ever came to Atlanta for a meal. Don and Winona Altman drove us down here and we went to a restaurant. And at that time, I thought I was in a hot cotton. It was a Ruby Tuesdays. <laughs> Things do change. Oh, baby, we was picking hot cotton for real. And I remember the first time I ever had, <laughs> the first time I ever had French onion soup with the crouton down in the broth, the onions running everywhere, the cheese baked on top. And I stuck my, my spoon down through that cheese and it just yielded to my spoon. And I pulled it up and it just, it wouldn't let go. It just kept stringing along. And then, oh my God. I never knew what French onion soup was. Never heard of it in my life. And at that table, he is where he began to help us to dream again. To see what we didn't see for ourselves. To see what was possible. It was because of who he was and the table we sat at and the meal we partook of, it meant something special. No more special, every bit as special as when the Lord would recline at the table. I want you to notice, by the way, in your devotion and reading, every time you see the word table, I want you to look at the surroundings and see what's happening. I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you. In Luke chapter 22, <laughs> Checking my time. In Luke chapter 22 is a table experience that I want to share with you as we prepare today. Have you found it? Uh, my hesitancy is not wanting to be not wanting to be everlasting but wanting to be eternal and share with you enough but I want to share everything you know if you get something you want to share everything say it again please oh yes yeah, right right that's right we, we've got time so not not this morning but but we will have time so look at look at look at verse 22 uh, Chapter 22, excuse me. Look at verse 14. Sometimes in, in the scripture, depending on your publisher, they will divide the paragraphs with a topic heading to let you know that the subject is changing or the scene is changing. It, this one, you might have a, a label that says, The Lord's Supper. Anybody have that on, in, their, in their publication? Yeah. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table with he and the apostles with him. 
And he said to them, I so earnestly, if you could understand this, the, the, the passion of this verse, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Lord Jesus. For I say to you, I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's the setting of this time. Most of the time, everybody's happy when they eat. Most of the time. Because usually if you've really worked, you know, the joy comes in, in refreshing and eating. And notice it says that they reclined at the table. I want you to keep that phrase, the table, in your mind in these days, in these, in these coming weeks. Keep that phrase in your mind and let the Lord show you the power of the table. I began going back through last week looking at, oh my God, there's so much that happens at a table. It's unbelievable. It made my, my own family experience flash before me. In growing up, that I've often rehearsed this with you. Sometimes I feel like I can't rehearse it enough, but I just can't get it out of my mind when I, I can see it so clearly how the table was, was from east to west and the window was right there the sunshine would come in and the stove and the, and the sink was behind us and there was a wall there with a heater on it and on the other side there, there was this dining place and all of us, um, um, Diane, Flynn Arthur, Richard Allen, David James, Rodney Earl, and Stephen Edward, and Deborah Denise would be sitting around the table with Myrtle, Myrtle Johnson and our dad, Walter. And it was our place. It's where family was family. And what, you know what's crazy? We always sat in the same place. N nobody ever put a label on the chair. It just kind of fell out that way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And we had, we had our place, and it was at that table. Without knowing it when it was happening, I learned to love family. Where I began to understand what it is to be a family and what it was to be blessed because however well Walter and Myrtle did always showed up at the table. We knew money was flowing when we had pork and beans. Have mercy, Jesus. We knew we, we were in the money when we had hot water cornbread. Most of y'all don't know anything of what I'm talking about because this is more than 50 years ago. Hot water cornbread, pork and beans. Um, we knew stuff was, and, and, and listen to me. If she ever pulled out them smothered pork chops, we knew, we knew we were doing great. Okay, I can't stay there. So look at this. It's at the table that this occurrence happens when the, when, when the disciples and the actually calls them apostles had assembled together and they were giving thanks around the table and they were, they were 
sharing among themselves in verse 18. They were sharing the bread and there he took the cup. All these things were happening at the table where he began to pronounce over this occurrence, this meal, something different than he had before. He said, this is the, the cup of the new covenant. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is the bread. This is my body, which was shared, which was uh, broken for you. This is where he said, this meal we're eating today represents what I'm about to do for you. I can't, he said, I just wanted to eat this so badly with you. And I, but it's, it's almost an oxymoron when he says, I want to eat this in light of my suffering that I'm about to go through. But I want you to also see something else that happens. When you get to verse 24, a discussion happens at the table. And by the way, it, one reason why you need to revive the table in your house, because you need real talk. How many of you know real talk is what really happens, what really matters? Real talk is where you really are, what's really going on in your life. And real talk started taking place at that table and they, and they start talking about who was the greatest. Isn't that amazing? The greatest is at the table and they talk about who's the greatest. Excuse me, the creator is sitting at the table with them and they're talking about who's the greatest. They're sparring with their words. You know you got a table going on when it's the kind of freedom that you can talk real talk. And I'm afraid that many of us, our tables have digressed to grunts and moans and forks scraping plates and, and gulps of whatever you're gulping and that it's quick, it's fast, and it's out of here, even if there is a table at all. I'm afraid our tables have been reduced to spoons hitting pots and pans. Or worse than that, breaking open the cellophane or what was, what was ordered from outside and grabbing your stuff and going to your own corner and eating your stuff like an animal that you don't want nobody to get what you got. I have a twofold purpose this morning that you would understand what you're about to partake and that it would change the way you do this at home. So that you could, so that you and yours can receive what God has. What God has provided from his table to yours. This discussion about who's the greatest comes out and Jesus discerns this discussion and he, in, he interrupts the discussion and he says to them, he said, the nations, uh, and the scriptures is the kings of the earth. The nations, if I can translate that, the nations, the kings of the nations, lord, they lord authority over each other. We're wrestling with that right now. Where our leaders and our politicians and our governors our congressmen and our senators 
are attempting with everything they can, everything they have to lord over us and make us do what they want us to do. And if you have not caught that, you need to wake up and smell a coffee. What I'm so, what I'm so troubled about is most believers don't even understand what's at stake and what has happened to us in the last six months. And what has been released over us because of the lording, the lording of our leaders over the people to make them do what they want us to do. And by the way, some of you who sit here today who have no clue how blessed you are to be in these United States of America, you don't have a clue what the blessing is. You've forgotten what freedom is. Jesus is discussing a political issue when he says the, 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 the rulers of the nations, they lord over their people. And you know what? Whenever you have a country where there's lording over people and, and, and controlling people and making people do what somebody else wants them to do, you do not have freedom and you don't have the freedom of the gospel. And their countries are no better don't you ever forget it. They are no better. Jesus said they lord over them. And then he says something profound. Look at it with me. He says to them, wow. But, verse 26, but it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. He just gave us a complete reversal of authority and prosperity. He just gave us a formula to change everything in your life. Because the one who serves is truly the one who leads. The one who is humble is the one that God will exalt. And if you have to make people do something, you have nothing. By the way, that goes for parenting as well. While I do concur that while your child is an infant or a young, a young a kindergarten or when he's in, in his adult, before adulthood, there are some things you need to make them do. But those things are neg never negative and those things are never to their detriment. And those things will never shame them or you. But the people say amen to that. If you believe it, clap your hands and give God praise because this is the reversal that God is going to bring to us. And all of it is flowing from an understanding of the table. And Jesus said, look, if you're going to lead, you, if you're going to lead, you're going to have to serve. Tell your neighbor, if you're going to lead, you've got to serve. And if you're too proud to serve, you don't get to lead. And if you get your leadership by strength and power, don't worry. If you don't lead by, if you don't lead by service, it won't be long. You won't be leading. Because either you will die or somebody will kill you. Or somebody will usurp you. Or somebody will undermine you. If you're a parent and your children are not in grade school, but they are older, you cannot make them do anything. So Jesus said, true leadership, get this please, true leadership, I don't care where you are, family, business, education, commerce, 
Doesn't matter where you work or live. Leadership is always service. It's not how great I art. It's what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I make you look better? So, are you there, saints? Okay, all right. I'm sorry. Thank you for, 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 for uh, indulging me just a bit. Not much longer. Verse 27, for who is greater? Jesus asked the question. Who's greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Now, listen to me. You may say the one who serves because of what I just said. But listen to what Jesus said. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Now he goes in. But I am among you as the one who serves. Now, please get the picture. He is about to split open his flesh for them. And he says, I'm among you, I'm reclining. And yeah, in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a normal culture, the person who's being served is given much higher respect than the person who is serving. But I want you to know something. Even in the finest restaurant, if you've got an awesome restaurant, if you have an awesome restaurant and the person who's serving you knows what they're doing, they make your meal absolutely outstanding. Have you ever had somebody serve you who don't know what they're doing? Or who's impatient? Or who's got the water and is running over? Oh, oh, excuse me. Oh, oh, oh. Have you ever, have you ever had a person and you need somebody? Hey, I need somebody. Can I get some salt around here? Of course, that's kind of like what the corner cafe is like, right? It's horrible. If you have great food and a terrible server, it's horrible. You ain't going to be a good deal that night. Jesus said, I'm among you as one who what? Serves you. So he's now reversing and he's revealing the kingdom of God. And then he says, and then looking at him like, what? He said, and then listen to this. Jesus says in verse 28, you are those who stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you. I grant you, excuse me, saints, this is the kingdom language. I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you'll have authority even to judge the nation. Excuse me, it's at the table he's making these proclamations. He said, what, what you see here of me around this table is, is, is in type what's going to happen with you in terms of your destiny. And it's all around the table. And around that meal, almost done. Keep with me just a little, more, a little bit more. And then the Lord says, he He's saying this, and then he looks at Simon. He looks at Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, this happens at the table. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Next phrase says, what does the next phrase say? 
But I, talking about Jesus, I have what? I prayed for you. And when you are converted, Satan, uh, Simon, strengthen your brothers. All this stuff is happening at a table. A table that represents all that God wants to provide in your life and in mine. It's because of this that I want you to look at the Lord's Supper differently today. It's because of this that I want you to think about it just in the, same, in the sense where he said, um, I, I wanted to eat this with you so bad. By the way, they had eaten this meal many times before, but this time is different. And it is his words that transforms this table, just like your words and your conversation will transform the table where you eat. Have you ever been at a table when there's fussing and fighting? Have you ever sat at a table when there's negativity? Have you ever sat at a table when everybody's mad and nobody wants to even be there? I want that to change in your house today. I want you to ask God to give you a table where you live that is blessed where God's provision is realized. So I switch the channel right now and I say to you, on every table of this manner, Jesus always had two things. Excuse me, it's the same two things for 2,000 years before that was happening in Israel, in the temple. Same two things on the table. If you went into the holies, if you went into the holy place, you would find a table there. And on that table would be two things. There would be bread and there would be wine. Do you think that the Lord Jesus sitting there understands that he's the drink and he's the food and now he's pronouncing over the drink and the food so they could understand it? He tried to put it in perspective and say to them, I'm about to spill my life for you. So I wanted to eat this with you because this cup, when Jesus was saying, this cup, this cup is my blood. This bread, it's on top of the cup, this bread is my body. Broken for you. From this table, everything you need is provided. You think the Lord was thinking that, can you imagine? He could picture the old, in the Old Testament, the, the temple where the table of showbread was there and the cup was there and, and what they represented, they were, they were viewing what they did not even understand. Their understanding was so limited that by the time Jesus comes, he opens the revelation and he shows us, do not, tell you, speak with your neighbor, do not underestimate the power of the table of the Lord. Amen. And yes, I am, yes, I am, I am saying to you, make your table at home an extension of his table. It is the Father's table. And Jesus says, when you eat this, 
when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you will remember me. The next time you eat it, disciples, apostles, the next time you eat it, I will have completed my task in the kingdom of God. What I was sent to do, it will be complete. And though he doesn't say it here, the next suggestion is the Holy Spirit now will take the rest of the transformation that God the Father wants for the church and for the world. But right now at this table, he says, I want you to eat and I want you to drink. And every time you eat and every time you drink, I want you to remember me. Every time you sit down to this kind of meal, he says, I want you, I want you to put in your memory, put me back together again. Remember, don't dismember, remember me. Remember what I did for you. Remember what Satan hates and what Satan doesn't want you to know. Look at your neighbor and say, your sins have been forgiven. Lord, have mercy. Nah, you didn't say that with, we didn't say that with, with gusto. Look at him and say, your sins, all of your sins have been forgiven. Look at somebody else. Look at, if, you get, if they got that blank look in their eye, it's probably because they have never asked Jesus. They, they may not ever ask Jesus to forgive their sins and to believe in them. Find somebody else say, all of your sins have been forgiven. That bad attitude, that bad language coming out of your mouth, that rebellion against all authority, that, that, that decision to live life the way, any way you deem please. Did you understand that? Yep. Th that? That heart that said, well, you know, I'll go to church on Sunday, but on Monday I'm doing what I want. And don't ask me what I did on Saturday. That. Look at him in the face at all of your sins. Because of his love have been forgiven. Wow. It's the kind of meal that's unsuspecting. The world doesn't understand this. The world only sees from the flesh, only discerns things from the flesh. But the, the children of God understand the things that are freely given to them by the Holy Spirit. And we understand that when we eat this meal, it is so precious and so powerful. He said, every time you eat it and drink it, remember me. And what you do is you show forth or you demonstrate the Lord's death. We um, were in the midst of death yesterday. We were mourning yesterday. But our mourning is not like the world. The Bible says, you, he says, listen, you're not to sorrow like the world does. Because their sorrow is eternal. The believers is not. 
we win. So this morning, I want you to remember that God has prepared this table for you. And I also want you to understand that God gives you the power to prepare a table in your own house. I'm speaking to you covenantally. I'm speaking to you in terms of, of renewal. God has actually given you, transferred the power to you to create a table, a redemptive table in your own life. Did you know that you have the right to believe for any person that you invite into your home at your table to be saved? And you don't have to have their permission to pray for them. The way I feel, if I take somebody to dinner, oh, they're going to be saved. Hello, somebody. Am I right about Dex? <laughs> if they sit down, if I provide the meal and they sit down at my table, oh, they're going to be saved. Because they're coming under the authority that God has given me. Look at your neighbor and, the, and under the authority he's given you. Tell him what I said. You carry his spirit. You carry the kingdom of God. Jesus said is within you. Bow on your heads. To come to this table, you need to be sure your heart is right. Because God sees when you come to this table, your heart needs to be for him. Your heart needs to be like that child that easily, that easily repents. Your, child needs, your heart needs to be a heart that has decided, I will serve you. Whatever is wrong, I will repent. I will make it right. It's what makes you worthy of this table. And it also keeps you alive to live out all the days of your life. The Apostle Paul said, there are some who eat at the table uh, unworthily who are now asleep. He means dead. Because in the house of the Lord, in the church of Jesus Christ, you can't actually get more serious than this. And for that reason, I want you to pray now in the name of Christ. The Apostle Paul was so serious about it, he said, wait for each other so that your, that your hearts are right. And getting your heart right simply means, number one, acknowledging that the Holy Spirit has been putting something before you that he wants you to change. Your heart being right is acknowledging that the thing that may give you pleasure breaks the Father's heart. Getting your heart right means I will live as he dictates me to live. I will not be selfish. I will not lord over others.
I will make sure that my heart is pure. That means when you see sin, you acknowledge it and you turn from it. I think I rehearsed with you earlier, holiness is not the lack of sin, it's the hatred of sin. Getting your heart right might be admitting to God, Father, I have not hated this. But I want you to put a hatred in my heart as you put a love in my heart for what you love. I thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this meal where we recenter ourselves in the cross, where we remember what has been sacrificed for us and what now we must do for others. I thank you, Father, that you wash away every sin, you cleanse every stain. I thank you, Lord, today as we partake of this bread and this cup. Let the joy that comes from cleansing, the joy that comes from forgiveness, the joy that comes from acceptance spring in the hearts of every person who eats and drinks today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.